0: Now we want to continue, we spent the last session talking about the cyclical nature of signs and biblical and prophetic references. and So I want to just summarize here at the front, we we ended up talking about this woman um, out of whom uh, the ruler, the one Uh, symbolized by the crown of twelve stars, out of whom the ruler comes. Uh, There was an original um, uh, rendition of this uh, regarding Israel uh, that carried the promise that God gave, Israel carried the seed of Abraham that produced Christ. Mary is the picture of the woman who carries Christ, physically. And then this woman, the same woman in type, out of her will come uh, the the body, uh, the final result of that which glorifies God. God was creating a man in His own image Part of that is an actual creation in a physical sense, like Adam was physically created, but the bulk of it, the main part of it, is a spiritual creation, for if any man be in Christ he is a new creation, born of spirit, not of flesh. So the the type is how the mother produces uh, the son, and, and the sun is opposed by the enemy. Uh, you remember that at the time of Moses, for example, Israel produced uh, the uh, pr- produced Moses. And Pharaoh, whose name is a derivative of the term crocodile, because of the power of the Nile crocodile was probably in Egypt the most fearsome of all the creatures, um, rose up to destroy Moses and by doing so he destroyed all the male children in Egypt and would have destroyed Moses in that that purge, in that holocaust of the the male children uh, but for the fact that God saved Moses. In the same way uh, uh, Herod would have destroyed Jesus but for God saving him and ultimately sending him to Egypt and so calls him again out of Egypt. So these the Scriptures are replete with the same recurring themes, similar images overlaid one upon the other. So the woman is not a particular person, the woman is a type in Scripture who has had numerous appearances in Scripture, each time in a more definitive form, closer to the thing that it is meant to actually depict. Now this woman, uh, and we've talked about son being representational of light and so and the moon also and the crown of 12 stars being specific to rule. So this child isn't just uh, an announced uh, arrival, this is the announcement of the ruler, the ruler who is coming. Then, being with child, going on to verse 2, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth very, very significant because at the time of the coming forth, of the revealing of uh, the finished work, the thing God has done in secret in the end of the age, the creating of a man, the perfecting of a man, the sculpting, if you like, of a man in the image and likeness of Christ, that comes forth in something called uh, a time of sorrows which references birth pangs on a pregnant woman. When Jesus lined out uh, the events that would conclude the age, He described them with specificity and with specific reference to as birth pangs upon a pregnant woman unmistakable, so the distress associated with a woman giving birth continues to parallel the spiritual by reference to the natural. And again, it's one and then another and then another uh, in in this progression. And by the way, every time, every time, God intended to do, uh, to bring forth that which is in the likeness of the man in the image and likeness of God, the enemy is right there waiting to try to destroy it. In the case of both Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ, physically attempting to destroy them. Uh, in the case of Eve, bringing forth a man, uh, which is what she said, by the grace of God, I've brought forth a man. Um, and that was the name of uh, of Cain, the firstborn. by the grace of God, I've brought forth a man. So uh, right uh, it, in that environment, the enemy moves to either prevent the bringing forth of the man or... Subsequently, to try to destroy the man. Mostly, he's not, on, he's not able to prevent the birth. So, his actions tend to be uh, retro- an attempt to retroactively cure the thing he fears. Uh, he comes into the garden before uh, Cain is born. But God always intended, you see, God always intended a race to come out of Adam and to begin to come through Eve. God always intended that. It was just that He did not intend pain with childbirth. Pain is a reminder of the fallenness of man and what was lost, but God always intended uh, the earth to be populated. So the woman cries out in birth pains and then another sign appeared in heaven, Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Uh, and let's pause there, because again, there really is not. I'm trying to think if there's a reference to the typology of Christ. Um, we know Moses is a type of Christ. I'm trying to think of any reference where the, where the dragon is not present when the woman is about to give birth. Why? because he knows the story. The child coming forth in the image and likeness of God is destined to do what? To crush the head of the serpent. That's why later on we will see that the, the thing referred to as this global kingdom, uh, the. Uh, that has the power, uh, the throne and great authority of Satan, has a head that looks like it's been crushed, a mortal wound it is said, but it recovered. The point is that He will not die until the appointed time, but at the cross He was dealt the severest of blows a mortal wound which ensures that His hegemony over the human race that began with the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, that hegemony would be loosened for indeed the Lord Jesus Christ crushed His head. He didn't extinguish Him altogether but He wounded Him in the fashion of a mortal wound, one from which the effects of which he will never recover. It didn't kill him, it didn't put him out of business, because his time and his usefulness had not been fulfilled, and nor has it, his time had not been fulfilled and his usefulness to bringing forth the purified version of the man in the image and likeness of God had not been complete. Therefore, uh, but what had happened and why it can be described as a mortal wound is it broke His hegemonic rule, His his control over mankind. And by the way, the way He exerts that, that dominant rule over mankind has been systemic through kingdoms, that's why He's a beast with seven heads and ten horns, and one of the heads seemed to have received a mortal wound. You see? So so, striking at Satan, my point is simple, but I think I think notable striking at Satan is the same as striking at the kingdom that he has built the effect of the cross did not just deal this blow to Satan, which ultimately is fatal, ultimately he does not prevail. Um, It didn't just deal a blow to the person of Satan, it's more in line with what John said, that the Son of God was revealed for this reason, to destroy the works of the devil and the works of the devil in their representative compendium is this, is this uh, kingdom of seven heads and ten horns. But I'm ahead of myself, um, uh, the dragon appears, another sign appeared in heaven, a fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. We'll deconstruct this. I'm going to pass on deconstructing seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. I'm going to pass on deconstructing this, reserving it for when we talk about the thirteen, when we when we discuss the next chapter, because that's where this is picked up, you know. And he talks about this beast that comes up out of the sea, which is a direct parallel. To, revel- to the book of Daniel, the seventh chapter. Exact same beast, even in appearance. The beast, he said, the beast I saw resembled a lion, uh, a, a leopard, a bear, and a lion. The, the, the beast in Daniel, Daniel 7, was a lion, a bear, a leopard, and then the one with seven heads and ten horns. So in, in, in passing, I'm not dodging this obviously, I'm reserving it for a more complete discussion while allowing me to move forward to discuss this particular chapter and its relevance uh, even as it sets up the next chapter. His tail his drew a third of the stars of the heavens and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. So my comments now. The uh, so so this there is the sign appeared in heaven, just like the woman, uh, the, the constellation Virgo might be implied here, um, the sun, the moon uh, positioned in Virgo and uh, the, the uh, uh, crown of twelve stars would be seen upon, upon his head. Now I want to go back, I want to, the, to, to bear down on this dragon uh, I, I have mentioned already that there's a constellation called Draco, which is the dragon, D-R-A-K-O, Draco. Uh, some renditions are D-R-A-G-O, Draco. But th- they mean it's it means the dragon. And there's actually a constellation in the heavens called the Dragon. And it has a, a tail of stars or a train of stars. Um, I would not be surprised if at some point, just like we saw uh, in the reference to Jesus, that the wise men saw His star, they said, For we have seen His star in the east and have come to worship. And as I referenced, it has been said historically that the constellation Virgo, in the constellation Virgo, uh, which means a woman or a virgin, uh, the star called the desire of the ages appeared. And that's what the wise men followed to discover Christ. And inasmuch as the scriptures say that the stars uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars are set in the heavens to indicate signs. They're, they're therefore signs and seasons. Now, there's, there's nothing more physical uh, in terms of appearance and set places than the stars of the heavens. And they clearly appeared in a particular configuration in the days announcing the birth of the Lord wise men saw them they said for we have seen his star you see it's the pleasure of god to combine the visual and the visible with that which it represents he does both it's not one or the it's not necessarily one or the other now if you look at the scriptures in a domesticated view or from a from a, from a linear view you will always miss the spiritual implication and at that point the scriptures are little values they're of little value to you they're more like laws that restrain your conduct but do not change your nature they may tell you things about god but they will not reveal the nature of god to you God created a person comprised of three entities of being- a spirit, a soul, and a body. And revelation appears in all three realms. It appears in the physical realm of the body, it appears in a way that that makes the soul curious, and it appears in a way that confirms things spoken by the Holy Spirit to your spirit, all three ways. The complete person, the complete man if you like, and here this is not a reference to male, the complete being is one to whom God appears in all three dimensions of being, spirit, soul and body. Jesus had a ministry when He was on the earth to the body, to the soul, and to the spirit. But He established that the priority of His ministry and of His coming was to awaken the spiritual man to the reality of His Father in heaven. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit, and we know the least about being born of spirit we know the most about being born of flesh. All of medical science is dedicated to uh, the understanding of the bios life, the life within the bios. Um, All of uh, science um, and technology and economics are dedicated to and focused on some and differing aspects of The human form within the BIOS, within his biology, with his biological reference, and with in terms of his ecological reference. Psychology, on the other hand, is dedicated to uh, behavior, understanding behavior by understanding how uh, the soul's impulses. Uh, trigger memories, trigger emotions that determine actions, determine what you do. And mankind has only ascended to those two levels. Uh, the arrogance of science is because it is prevalent and because it, is, it answers immediate questions uh, within the human biological, an ecological framework, uh, bet- within his physical framework, the arrogance of science is that it pretends that there is nothing else beyond science. Well, that's silly. Uh, but you know, whatever anybody does in life, they tend to think that's the most important thing. You know, they talk about it as if it's the ultimate of human. Pre- Every human being ought to know about or be preoccupied as they are about their field of endeavor. And that's why human beings are always striving to be the greatest, the best, <laughs> who is the greatest, who is the best, who is the fastest, who is the richest, you know, who is the most intelligent and other forms of nonsensical foolishness. That's why we can't ever understand God, why would God not choose to be the greatest? Or alternatively, why would God, who is the greatest, choose to be the least? It's a different way of viewing things, it's a view of, your, of things from the viewpoint of your spirit, not your soul or your body. And you can tell how, uh, how low, in the order of being, persons are by how thoroughly they insist that their preoccupations exclusively related to the flesh has to be the imperative uh, and the dominant consideration of all mankind. And (laughs) they unwittingly also think this is God's imperative even when they are theologians. It's a foolishness manifested in such doctrines as, live your best life now. That's a child's idea of what God's imperatives are. God's imperatives are to reveal His nature to you and what this life is about is just preparatory so He can more fully reveal Himself to you. You have to at least have a mindset change before you can have any knowledge of God. And this world is mostly, and our lives here is mostly about learning obedience by the things we suffer. So we can grow in favor with God and man. So we can change, and God can eventually give us something that He has called an inheritance, which actually is Himself, by transforming our nature into His image and likeness. So, this, uh, in the physical world, In the physical universe there are stars in configurations uh, that are called constellations. There's the constellation Virgo, there's the constellation Draco and um, concerning this dragon, this enormous red dragon, it is said that his tail drew a third of the stars of the heavens and threw them to the earth. The word "tail is O-U-R-A ura, And it is also translated "train" as in like a bridal train. So the tail of an animal, like the tail of this dragon, was a train, um, a trailing uh, a trailing portion. And that, that references, the scope of your influence, the scope of your influence. Like the tail of, of an animal continues to project the scope of its influence. I saw a monitor lizard on a, uh, uh, one of these YouTube videos, uh, he was walking at the edge of a village near a house and it was a big, a fairly big monitor lizard, probably six feet at least and uh, a family dog was uh, had come out of the yard and was rushing toward the monitor lizard. The lizard moved forward and uh, as the dog came within range of its tail, it whacked the dog and and the poor dog howled and ran off, an indication of the power of the the tail of an animal that has a tail. Now not all animals with tails have power in their tails but some do, especially dragons, the type that would be considered a dragon. The the Komodo lizard is called also the Komodo dragon but uh, um, water-dwelling reptiles utilize their tails for powerful things such as swimming um, and or uh, subduing their prey sometimes, whether by their jaws or by their tails. Anyway, his influence, his train, drew a third of the stars of the heavens. Asterion could either mean planets or uh, or stars in the heavens or as we have already seen in our studies in the book of Revelation, back in chapter 9, a star fell uh, from heaven to earth and it had the key to the abyss and opened the abyss. So sometimes stars can operate keys, that's when stars are references to persons or beings who may be influenced by the train or the tail. So this dragon, being symbolic of Satan, influenced a third of the others of his kind in heaven and threw them to the earth. So they weren't humans who were influenced, otherwise they would have begun on the earth his influence would have begun on the earth. But he he drew down a third of the angels with him and uh, drew them down to the earth. Now in the next chapter we're going to see them quote, "...fall out of the heavens." They will change their location as the war in the heavens continue. And uh, we will in the next chapter, in the next go- uh, uh, message, we will be speaking about the interaction between the dragon and the woman. As we have said, that in all previous references to the dragon and the woman, he's positioned to devour the child because the child's growing up is fatal to the dragon. And we we'll look at that interaction when we come back. Blessings to you. I'm Sam Solon, and we'll continue. Bye-bye.